0: Roberto Blake is a creative entrepreneur and business coach that helps online creators get monetized. With over 500,000 YouTube subscribers and more than 1,400 videos, he's one of the leading educators in the online space. In today's episode, Roberto shares easy, actionable ways to start a business. He also shares his story and the personal struggles that ultimately paved the way for his success. This and so much more in today's episode of the Inner Power Podcast. Welcome to the Inner Power Podcast with your host, Andy Rivera. Hey, everyone, welcome to the inner power podcast. Today we have Roberto Blake. So Roberto is a creative entrepreneur. He is a substantial YouTuber. He is honestly just a phenomenal human being all around. And I'm really excited to have him on because he's someone that I personally respect and admire in so many ways. So Roberto, thank you so much for saying yes to jumping onto the inner power podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Andy.
0: Yeah. Okay. Roberto. So tell us a little bit about your business, what it is that you do and how exactly did you get started?
1: So there's a, there's a couple of things. It's a very interesting question. So I I have more than one business venture, as you already know, yeah. there are a lot of people that the way they'll be familiar with me and the way they'll look me up is they'll go, Oh, well, he's a YouTuber, right? Because he has a YouTube channel. It's 500,000 subscribers. He's probably making decent money from that brand deals, whatever. Like, okay, he's a full-time YouTuber and they would leave it at that. But you already know that I'm the founder of Awesome Creator Academy and that I have a coaching business for content creators and I teach them the business of social media. But you also know that I have Create Awesome Media, which is not only you know my company that sits over everything, but it's also a digital branding agency that does service-based business for uh, social media influencers and content creators, so that we can take things off of their plate, like building a website, building a media kit to pitch your brands, because you're not a design genius. Doing brand photo stories, you know, fly out, shoot everything in your studio or your office space, headshots, whatever you need, you know, those kinds of things. So, I have two client services based businesses. One of them is almost purely services and consulting, and then the other one is coaching and digital products. And then I have the hustle, which is the YouTube channel. So it's like I'm a lunatic because no one should. A like, little bit. <laughs> no one should be doing <laughs> no all <one's> that. No one's judging. <laughs> no one should be doing all that. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> like, but but uh, hey, you I make enjoy it work.
0: You make and I it enjoy work. It. You and- yeah, that's that's actually such a key element, the fact that you really, really are passionate about everything that you do. So what inspired you to take that leap? Because of course, I know you and I know that you have a corporate background. So before becoming a YouTuber, an entrepreneur, you were already in the online business space. Yes. You were an expert on SEO and just a bunch of different things. So um, walk us through that transition and how exactly did your passion lead you into what it is that you're doing now
1: well i didn't have much of a choice i was miserable every day and i was plotting (laughs) to leave my job for like over a year i wrote my resignation letter a year in advance and kind of hoped no one would ever root through my desk for it and um (laughs) i plotted my exit uh for over a year and spent a year working at within my company planning and learning how to leave and prepare myself to leave and uh it finally came to a head in a fire me or I quit. Like, and you know, they obviously chose the like, well, we're going to be jerks about it. We got to fire your ass. So like, there's, um, it was like, okay, great. That means that I also don't have to honor any of the contractual stuff. If you fire me, that means that I don't have non-competes. I ain't got none of it. Great. Sign me up. Let's go. (laughs) So it's, uh, so it's, uh, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me, honestly. Um, and it's because, The things that made me miserable, because I actually liked the work that I did, believe it or not. I actually enjoyed the work that I did very much and I took pride in the work that I did, but it was largely the environment of, okay, I have no agency in being subjective to being in the presence of this person, this person, this person, and that's making me miserable because they don't respect me and they don't treat me well. So, and yet I'm forced to treat them well and I'm forced to respect them and I don't have really a say in the matter because my paycheck is tied to that, so that was a problem. These people can infringe on my life, even on my day off, and call me back into the office on my day off, or even after I've gone to work, changed my clothes, showered, and then I'm just trying to relax, relax, decompress so that I can face doing it tomorrow with courage. Nope, come back in come back in we got to get this so we got to do that and everything boss wants this but like you know they could infringe on my life in a way that was unreasonable and I really didn't have any means to resist if I relied on them for a paycheck so that was another problem so uh, this knowing that i my ability to like stay go to bed wake up was all dictated by the needs of this job and the whims of people who i don't feel like respected me May like when you don't have any control or say over your life, you don't have time freedom, you don't know how, like, that okay, no matter how hard I work, no matter how much more money I make the company, no matter what results I produce, I can produce a hundred times more the result, and I will not get even five times more the reward in any way. When you know that you have no agency, no freedom, no power, you can't be anything but depressed in that situation. And so, your choices are you can endure it or you can change it.
0: And he chose to change it. And I love that because I feel like so many of us have been in that position to where we we are just fully unhappy, whether it's with the work that we do or with the leadership that we're working with. And in your case, it was definitely a leadership and a cultural thing, a company cultural culture. thing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's kind of funny because you still work around the clock, you know, um, In fact, I would even argue that you work even more, but you're so passionate and so happy and so fulfilled with what you do now. It's so in alignment with your purpose that it doesn't feel like that heavy burden that you had before even exactly. though you put in all this work. And like you said, you know, you have your YouTube channel, you have sponsorship deals, you have the academy. Uh, I mean, you have a lot on your plate. and still It demands a higher of it,
1: level of ability too.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course it does. And not just that, like, I mean, self-responsibility as well. I mean, you got to yes. keep yourself accountable. So, uh, you know, a lot of people think that when you become an entrepreneur, things just wow, like it's so amazing, but Freedom. It's, actually really, it's, like- it's actually really difficult not having someone constantly keeping you accountable. So that's mm-hmm. kind of tricky. But now, because of the fact that you're so in alignment with your purpose, things are just falling into place. Things kind of just fell into place uh, from the moment that you decided to make that shift in your life.
1: I don't know about that. I wouldn't say they fell into place as much as it was... Because trust me, it didn't feel like it uh, fell Mm -hmm. into place. At least that wasn't the experience initially. When I initially experienced it, I didn't have a lot of money saved up despite planning for a year because life happens and I wasn't making enough to begin with. And then when I went to full-time freelancing, I was doing full-time freelancing. I combined YouTube with that. Um, I happened to learn a lot of things along the way and I came across uh, the content of Pat Flynn, which then made me pursue affiliate marketing, which would become a substantial uh, game changing income stream later as I built um, you know my audience and my presence but it's that it it's that things on the outside would look like they fell into place but I was the beneficiary much like in photography of what patience optimism and consistency managed to accomplish it will create the illusion. And it's a very powerful illusion. It ends up seducing people into thinking that things are easier than they are. Um, When you see someone's success like that can look like everything fell into place. I would say the universe definitely provides. But it required very specific things of me. It required me learning patience, which didn't come naturally. It required me learning to appreciate some level of stillness. And it required me to get to a place to where I could reconcile my feelings about things versus the facts of those things. Like that, um, just cause I'm feeling frustrated with something doesn't mean that it's not working. My feeling is immaterial to the result in that, in that way. So it was, uh, and I didn't believe that when I started, I had to learn that.
0: And how did you learn?
1: <laughs> and don't say the hard way, because we know
0: that of course it's, it's not necessarily easy, but what were some things that you did that helped you kind of get into that flow?
1: I think a lot of it came down to the fact that the good news is I was spending my free time on things that would actually improve me as a person, and that makes it a little bit easier because one of those things was I was reading. I was constantly reading, and not just business books. I was constantly reading, and I, um, I highly recommend people read fiction and fantasy. And I'll tell you why, Andy. Like Fiction and fantasy sometimes end up being stories that largely end up being about character and character development. And when you look at the evolution of somebody and the choices they make in changing themselves, uh, even as a story, and you look at how they persevere, and you look at how their character directly impacted their ability to perceive a situation or the choices that they made, it makes you look inside of yourself and develop some self-awareness and think about your values, think about your own character, think about the choices of who's around you. Uh, makes you realize that there might be things that you're holding on to. And I think it just gives you a greater insight to immerse yourself in the stories of other people. And the result of that was I considered and reflected on how, if I make different choices, maybe motivated or inspired by these people who never even existed, could it have a real material difference in my life? And the answer was yes. Yes. The answer was yes. In the same way that hearing stories maybe about your great-grandparents or your ancestors or people from uh, the history or religion of your faith could be inspire and motivate you, it really doesn't matter even if the story is true. It's a matter of the fact that the lesson makes you look inside of yourself for an answer that was there all along. That's the real Mm -hmm. value.
0: I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So... What are some of your favorite books? Because I know that you're also huge on nonfiction as well. I yes. mean, you and I are big bookworms, and we talk about this all the time. We were talking about The Alchemist the other day. Yes. Um, and on the topic of Pat Flynn, we were talking about super fans as well, which, yeah, you got it right there. There you go. Um, you read it. I actually listened to it on Audible. So both. We're, yeah. Uh, so what are some of your favorite
1: books and the topics so that
0: you would recommend for in, people in, starting in fiction,
1: off? In fiction and fantasy, I love the work of um, Brandon Sanderson. He writes several different uh, series, but one of my favorites was this series called the Mistborn series. Um, And the heroine of that series is, like, really totally inspiring, totally badass. She's, like, amazing. And it's, like, and uh, it's great. You know, she literally comes from, like, the slums and then works her way up to confront you know the dark lord that's a that's i like that kind of stuff like she wasn't even <laughs> yeah. the, she wasn't even the chosen one she's just somebody <laughs> who said screw it you <laughs> know like it's uh yeah. it's great so i like that a lot um there's some other great series um i like brent weeks uh, night angel trilogy that starts with um i think it starts with way of shadows is the first book in the night angel trilogy Wait, I just realized that that one's also about like some kind of street rat coming up and challenging the establishment, like the established order of the world. I might, I, there, I might have a pattern here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But um, I have a soft spot for outcast. I have a sm- a soft spot for outcast and scrappy people who come from nothing. You know, maybe I relate to that a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, so so definitely that. And then in terms of like nonfiction stuff. Uh, the works of a lot of my friends, you know, scaling a business and hiring people. One of the things that actually led to even us working together is I read this book by my friend Chris Ducker that is life changing. I read it before I met him and before we came became friends. It's called Virtual Freedom. It's called Virtual Freedom, and it was about um, outsourcing and about entrusting your brand and your work to other people. And I think it really made a difference because. Before um, I started working with people and now, you know, we have a team of four to five people who do part-time work, It's which makes everything I do possible. I wouldn't be able to do it all, be sane, because, uh, again, for like maybe six years or so, I, I was insane and I did everything myself, like a lunatic, um, so I think that... A virtual freedom's life change because it gives you very specific information. It tells you who should be on your team and why. It tells you what you should be delegating and why. It tells you how to find those people. It tells you what qualities to look for in them. It tells you how to manage them. It tells you how to put systems in place. It is so specific and so granular. And so it's the most no BS like, oh, this is how you build a team, even a remote team. And I think for people, especially with uh, quarantine and COVID that it's like, this is more real to them now. And there's, there's value in understanding it.
0: Mm -hmm. So, uh, Roberto, you mentioned when you essentially were fired from your job, you started freelancing along with creating YouTube videos,
1: which I'd actually been doing even while I was an Mm -hmm. employee, I was freelancing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Making some money on the side. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of people that might be feeling a similar frustration to what you and I felt when we were both employed to where, okay, we're content, we're grateful, but we're not really happy. We're not really fulfilled and there's something missing. I know that I can be doing a lot more. I know I have this big calling, but I don't really know what the steps are. So what are some very, very clear steps that we can give to people who are in that position and are trying to make that transition from, something that's kind of eh, okay in their life but it's not really fulfilling to something that is completely gratifying and transformative
1: start with your finances is actually what something i would look at look at your finances and then look at anything that you're doing that you can do without and that's not about extreme frugality about denying yourself it's looking at what is essential and necessary so that you could start to look at how much money you do and don't need and then what compromises are you making for money? So if you start with your finances and then you decide, here's what I do or don't need, but then also how much more money does it take to make a change in my life that would make me more comfortable or more happy? Uh, because again, that's not even about materialism. That's about, well, what am I experiencing by not having this thing that costs money? Because everything does cost money. So what what how much money do I need to change my lifestyle enough to make my sacrifices feel worthwhile? That's a super important question. And then you can look at, okay, one of the reasons I'm unhappy is because I'm doing this thing that I don't like and I don't even have enough to be comfortable with after the fact or to show for it. So there's some part of that that is wounded pride or ego, so you need to acknowledge that. But it's also okay to figure out what rubbing some salve, rubbing some, some lotion on that burn could look like. You know, that, that's more than fine. That's actually very realistic. And so then I'd look at, okay great, now I understand the gap between where I would like to be and where I am very, very clearly and I'm not being delusional. I know exactly what those dollar amounts could look like and I, I get what the deal is. Okay, I'm only making this amount of money doing something that makes me miserable. How much money do I need to be able to change my circumstances? And then also, what are things I don't despise? What are things I wouldn't hate doing to make that kind of money? Okay, because the first step is not always even doing what you love. It's doing things you don't hate. If you really dislike what you're doing, you just need to like something else more and extract more value from it. Mm -hmm. Like, So that's where I think to start. And then I start thinking, what are practical skills that are based in things I don't dislike. So first of all, don't do things that you hate, not even for money, Yeah. because it's because it might just require more effort or research or patience on your part to figure out, yeah. here's something I can do that I don't dislike that pays as good or better.
0: We were talking, uh, it's so funny, um, we were talking about energy management um, by the way, you guys, I'm the director of operations in Roberto's Academy. So I did want to plug that in. If you guys are interested, go to coachbyandy.com slash awesome and check it out because we have so many hours how many hours do we have worth of training at this point is it like I think around 70 so r- hours
1: i think it's like 70 something hours at this point it's, yeah. it's crazy because we've been like non-stop putting out every
0: single week yeah
1: every single week yeah yeah
0: and one of our classes was on energy management and when you do something that you hate even if it's like let's say one hour of doing something that you hate versus one hour of doing something that oh i actually like this i actually enjoy this it requires so much more effort to do that thing that you hate. By the time that you get home, you're depleted. You're absolutely exactly. depleted and you can't do anything else. So by making that shift, even though the time might be similar, the energy is not, and it's going to give you, yeah, it's going to give you more fuel to, to then make that transition.
1: That's why some people, if they, if they entrepreneurial ventures are reflected in their values, a comfortable work environment that energizes and inspires them, and they're working with people that they like and that they really enjoy spending time with. The thing is, working 12 hours in that circumstance is infinitely going to feel much differently and be less of a chance of you burning out than if you worked less hours at something you dislike. It's where some of my pushback on the idea of hustle culture comes from, Andy, is because I think people who are unhappy are projecting their the energy of them being drained after eight hours of unhappiness on people that are doing things in a great environment for 12 hours. Like, yep. That's mm-hmm. a big difference. That's a big yep. difference. You're talking about people who like, no one wants to retire from being a rock star or a painter or a writer. Like they, they have no interest in like stopping their their work, their life's work, none. Like that. that's a very different thing than somebody doing something that was a compromise. So that they could make a living. There's a very difference between being invested in a true lifelong career or ambition or endeavor. And it is work. Make no mistake. It is work. But there is a massive difference between working towards your purpose and your dreams and you extracting what you want from that than doing something and getting by. And I think people who are getting by sometimes are projecting the idea and they can't imagine, and it's not entirely their fault. They can't imagine working harder or longer because they're imagining that it'll feel just as bad as what they're doing now. But that's, again, their imagination. It's not the reality. The reality is doing something you like won't feel nearly as bad, even if you're doing it more intensely. Oh, that's a fact. Preach.
0: (laughs) So, okay. So apart from taking in account your finances and of course, you know, understanding your values is a huge thing. Making a list of the values that you actually stand for and also making a list of the things that you enjoy doing. So once we have all those things in place, what are then the action steps to starting to make some money from that?
1: Take stock of your actual skills. And then actually look at the market and determine how much people pay people for your skills and what level of ability they pay you more at. And then look at your ability to produce results and then look at the top of your market and then think about what the gap is between you and the highest people paid in your market or the mid-tier people in your market or the value budget people in your market. Look really hard at that and know what those dollar amounts are. Know what the low, medium, and high dollar amounts for your skill sets, all of your skill sets are. Then also measure your enjoyment in doing those skills, and then look at the money, and then kind of figure out effort value ratios on that. Like look at, okay, I like this thing more, but this thing pays less. I like this thing second most, and it pays more than the first thing. What do I need more? enjoyment or money. Make a choice based on where you are in your values and also realistically add to that variable. But I'm actually twice as good at this third thing and I don't love it as much, but I'm twice as good at it and it actually pays better than both of those other two things. So the thing I like most pays the least. If that's not financially okay, it's not reasonable to choose that just because I'm more passionate about it especially if there's less demand and it pays less
0: at least if, at the moment and the very at beginning, the moment yeah. not <laughs> until
1: your financial situation changes you know yeah. like you mm-hmm. have to be responsible especially if you have a family so if the second thing you like most and you don't hate any of these things that's the good news don't put things on the list that you hate you know like, like I said don't do things you hate just don't all right sec the thing I like second most I'm good at it but I'm not great at it and I'm not convinced that I can be great at it. So it's it's like it's gonna be harder, but it also does pay better than the thing I'm really passionate about and I'm not as good at that thing I'm passionate about. So then that might be a more reasonable option, but oh wait, there's this third option, I am great at that thing and it pays better than both and I'm just giving a scenario, you have to figure out if this is true. Like, hmm, I'm great at this thing, it pays better than both, I just don't like it as much, but I don't hate it. Don't hate it at all. Maybe the most reasonable thing is to do the, thing, the two things that you're not as passionate about because both of them pay better. But if you are better at the third thing, then you might be able to make more money faster and take care of a lot of your immediate problems, which means that you then have the luxury of a pay cut down the road. So it might be better to do a season of hustle at something you're really good at, that you don't hate, that you know pays well, that you know the market really wants or needs enough that there's demand, and knowing that you're great at it means there's less chance of failure, there's less people that can compete with you and do well, and it means that when you ask for your pricing, you're gonna get it. So I look at those things and I say, that's the most reasonable thing you can do right now, because by the way, if you do a really good job with that, you'll be able to afford doing something you like more later, whether that means changing it up or just adding it to the pile, you might be able to afford to do that.
0: So, I mean, I love that. I love those examples because it's, they're they're just very real. (laughs) They're very realistic. So let's say that, okay, the third skill that I have on my pile is graphic design, right? Um, I'm very passionate about spiritual coaching, but right now the skills that I really have and that I actually enjoy are more in business. And let's say that you're just a graphic designer, right? It makes money. There's high demand. How do I get started? How do I even find clients? Like, what are the first steps for that?
1: So the first thing is either use your existing network or build a better network. And the reason is because if you're going to do graphic design, you're probably not going to be able to start with products. You could, and you could try, but the thing is you have to then figure out traffic, which we can talk about later, but if like, and this is real to me. So as a graphic designer, my answer would be okay. Who needs graphic design services that pay a lot and they pay a lot of money? Influencers, coaches, public speakers, authors, people who have a brand, all right? So I will then go and pursue people who have a brand, people who literally are out there screaming they make six or seven figures, they can pay whatever I ask for. I just have to deliver value for them and I'm gonna be good, I'm good enough or I'm going to be. So I will look at who they've already paid and look at what the best thing is in their portfolio and I will then outwork them and outdo them and make sure that stuff in my portfolio, I'm like, well, let's see, I found a six or seven figure entrepreneur. I can probably find out who they look up to. I can probably find out what graphic design services have been applied to the person they look up to, who their brand is. Primary example, then look up what the brand of a Pat Flynn or Gary Vaynerchuk or Marie Forleo looks like or something, and someone like that and then say, okay, my design portfolio needs to be attract someone who wants to be the next Marie Forleo, the next Gary Vaynerchuk, the next Pat Flynn. My portfolio has to have work that could look attractive to someone who wants to be in that position. And I'm gonna pursue people who wanna be in that position because they can pay one of those clients, just one of those clients, probably change my life. And the thing is, if I do a good job for them, I then have access to their network. So, okay that's kind of where I would start think, at least that's the line of thinking that I would pursue. Mm -hmm. Falling short of that, if I need immediate cash flow, I then maybe look local when the world isn't burning and I I look local. (laughs) I go to, I go and I find the up and comers in my local town that are going to the business mixers, if that's a thing, or who is registered at the Small Business Association, who is uh, doing that look at who puts business cards at the local art council uh, building and everything like that. I look at those things. I look at who in my town has a local business that's paying for paid advertising, who is local buying billboards. They have a budget. Look for people who are already spending money. That's like a big key in finding clients. This is like real, no BS. This is the real secrets right here. Like this is like the real stuff. You go and you literally find people who are already spending money. The mistake and the reason most people struggle when they decide to become freelancers or do client services or look for clients is they're usually operating with people around people. They're the same level of economic uh, resources as them, a.k.a., oh, how am I going to get my broke friends to give me money? How am I going to get the people that I'm talking to even on social media who are just as broke as me or we're working a nine to five? How, do I, how am I going to extract any money out of them? And the answer is you don't. The answer is you don't. You move on and you say, I'm going to now skip ahead and I'm going to go after bigger fish and I'm just going to make myself as valuable to them as possible because even if I'm tremendously valuable to the people around me, the reality is they can't support me. They can't afford it. They cannot pay me what I'm worth. So I will now ingratiate myself. I will now reach out to, I will now spend time, I will now get into the inner circle, I will do whatever it takes, even work for free if I have to, to get the attention and get into the circle of the people who could afford to pay me. And that's, and that's the way I would pursue it. So I would identify those people and then identify their needs and what they're already spending money on. And then I would build a portfolio that shows that I can deliver the quality equal to or better than what they're already paid for. Then I'd come in and underbid them. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's how I would do it.
0: And apart from having a portfolio, I think, you know, having a lot of courage, I, I feel like a lot of times you have the skills and we know that we have the skills, but we have imposter syndrome and it's keeping us back from taking that step and being courageous and just actually reaching out to these people. And I know that imposter syndrome is something that Literally all of us have dealt with, yourself included, uh, especially you, actually, because you were very shy. And yeah. now you're a public speaker, which you definitely were not before. And people can tell just by listening to this audio. So that, that's a skill set that you really polished throughout the years. And you forced yourself to step out of that comfort zone. Yes. How did you do that? And how can the people listening to this audio potentially do that as well. Beat the imposter syndrome and take that step.
1: Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, expecting a different outcome of some time. I figured out that the, the world will change with or without me and probably not in my best interest. Therefore mm-hmm. the only re- which has already happened, which is then why the cycle keeps repeating. Therefore, the only sane and reasonable conclusion I could come to is that I would have to change because then my ability to meet the world will be a different version of me meeting the world. So I had to change. And the thing is, change is transformation. Transformation is supposed to be uncomfortable. The most excruciating thing I could ever imagine is being a caterpillar and that life already is like really crappy. And then the only thing worse than being a caterpillar is the agonizing process of eating enough resources to then build yourself this cocoon and then lock yourself into darkness for a number of days, hoping that you're not devoured by any other beast of the field. And the anxiety of that waiting and hoping for your transformation, just so that you can then go through the agonizing chemical process of every cell in your body breaking down and being reformatted into a beautiful butterfly for the briefest period of time. It's the most agonizing thing I can think of, but the caterpillar will tell you it's damn well worth it. So I guess that metaphor is the answer is I, I understood that I can accept the pain that I currently have or the pain Mm -hmm. of transformation with the opportunity of leaving my current pain behind for a different experience.
0: Ooh, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So speaking of transformation, you come from an ing- immigrant family. So yes. yeah, we're both Latinos. <laughs> yes. Um, And I know that a lot of things were not in your favor, you know, yes. not just coming from an immigrant family, uh, but you're also black and in this yep. society in the United States, uh, it's very difficult and challenging. And it just seemed like everything was against you. What are some things that you would tell your younger self now that you've reached this level of success and you've been able to not only break through your own imposter syndrome, but actually break free from everything that society was telling you that you couldn't do.
1: I'd probably give the same speech that Magneto gives to, um, one of the mutant children in one of the old Sam Raimi X-Men films like, and I, I'm being hyperbolic when I say this, but his quote was, you're a God of insects. sex. Don't let anyone ever tell you differently.
0: And that's probably
1: <laughs> the speech that I would give to my younger self because like yep. to be very real, I think that there's something that's not said that I think is an unpopular opinion. I think that people should be willing to embrace and accept their arrogance and that sounds horrible because Eric, like arrogance, that's a terrible quality in people, but I'm like, no, let's think about this. If you're delusional enough to think that you are capable of greatness and some big audacious thing that hasn't been done in your own experience or the experience of anyone in your lineage, it means you would actually try. And even if you fail in the attempt at greatness, you'll be greater than you were before you tried. And you might have learned the lesson that would one day lead to greatness if you can hold on to enough arrogance to keep trying. I think that progress is made through having enough delusion to be willing to try something in the hope of getting a different outcome, a different result. So the thing is, the most sane thing you could do is embrace a little ego, embrace a little arrogance and have the audacity to hope for better for yourself and the stubbornness to work for it. And I think that if you tell someone that story you change their life because i think for everything that was and is like against me or someone like me the story that you have about yourself is probably the most powerful thing because if someone wanted you to be stuck they would tell you that the world is too big the world is too powerful the systems the people the invisible hand will never allow you to have it but if you wanted somebody to be powerful you would tell them that I feel bad for anyone that tries to stop you because you have greatness in you. If you use a fraction of your potential, there'll be be no stopping you. If you told someone that, if you told someone that you're not invincible, but you have unlimited potential, and that you just need to apply yourself, and you need to work very hard for it, but realistically understand that that does not guarantee you anything. If you tell people that hard work doesn't guarantee success, but the lack of it absolutely guarantees failure, they will understand the lesson and understand that the pursuit of greatness is enough to be very, very good.
0: Wow. Mic drop. That was great, Roberto. (laughs) I love it how you always come in with like those little bombs. All right, Roberto, we are in the final stretch of the interview. And before I ask the two final questions, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for not only being on this podcast, but for taking that step in your own personal life many, many years ago to choose that greatness and to choose to embrace it with so much courage. I think it's really awesome. And I invite everybody here to actually check out your work so where can they do that where can they get connected with you
1: well you can learn more about me and my story at robertoblake.com there are benefits to building your own website i, I highly recommend it <laughs> uh, <laughs> and build your own personal brand you can learn from me with over 1400 videos on youtube.com slash robertoblake2 like the number two and then if you wanna work with me or Andy, you can join AwesomeCreatorAcademy.com and you can either join our membership group or you can do one-on-one coaching with either one of us, that's fine, and we'd love to have you. Uh, so those are those are some options available to people if they wanna reach out and get in touch with me. They can obviously follow me at Roberto Blake in all the social medias. I am everywhere at all times. <laughs> <So> Literally. <now.
0: laughs> I don't and know how you do to it, come. but he really is everywhere. <laughs> well, you, know,
1: you Actually, you know exactly how I do it. <laughs>
0: well yeah i guess at this point yeah i do (laughs) um yes and he's super available he actually manages his own social media platform so if you message him if you send him a dm on instagram if you tweet at him he's gonna be the one responding yeah so um and you're also really big at clubhouse now as well so i mean literally every single platform i've even seen you on reddit he's everywhere
1: (laughs) yeah so so yeah clubhouse this morning yeah (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) right giving a conference all right so roberto Describe success in three words.
1: Having power. Sorry, having personal power, having personal power.
0: Okay. I like that. If I could sum it down to one word for me, like I can't choose three. I just choose one. For me, it's freedom. Just freedom Mm, really encompasses everything. Yeah. um, Because in freedom, you find so much happiness. uh, But personal power is the key to that freedom. So um, actually, am I going to ask you an additional question in that regard? What are some tips for people who want to step into that personal power?
1: Have the serenity to accept the things that you cannot change, the courage to change the things that you can and the wisdom to know the difference. Awesome. <laughs> so, Like, let me let me be more like real and less like woo than that. Like, OK, so accept and acknowledge the reality that there are things outside of your influence and sphere of control. Those things are very real, but since you don't have any power over them, since you are not you know, the Lord Almighty in that situation, give that up. Let That is the thing that you give to God, and you say, it has nothing to do with me, it is the way it is, and you you acknowledge that it exists, you acknowledge that it could affect you and influence you, but you have no ability to stop it from happening or existing, What you now understand is so, okay, so it's making your peace with that. That's how we avoid being depressed. We make ourselves anxious and frustrated and scared because we think about all these terrible things in the world that are beyond our ability to influence. Make your peace with it and say that it's okay that there are things that are beyond my control and experiences beyond my control and not all of them will be bad. Not all of them will be bad. There will be things that I wouldn't have thought of that will be great that are out there and it's fine. That is fine and it should be beyond my control because I don't know everything and I wouldn't make every wise choice if I were a master of the universe. So, okay, that's serenity. That is like making your peace with it. Now here's the thing, courage. Courage is I acknowledge that there are things I do control which is my response to the world, how I internalize things how I treat myself, how I treat others. And I take full responsibility for those, and I will act not from a place of fear, but from a place of courage. I will take meaningful, intentional, purposeful action in a way that I believe to be good, in a way I believe to be right, and I will have the courage and integrity to stand in my values and my principles and act accordingly, So I'm acknowledging those things. I'm taking ownership and taking responsibility. That's what that part of that means, at least in my opinion. That's what my why I believe the Serenity Prayer to mean. And then the wisdom to know the difference, the wisdom to know and have just enough self um, awareness to not be fully arrogant and fully delusional. I want people to be on that arrogant spectrum, but I want them to dial it down a little bit from Vegeta. If anyone knows Dragon Ball Z, I want you to dial dial down the Vegeta just a little bit. Why, Dialed Vegeta
0: down to the, is like t- my, no.
1: my, my dude. <laughs> I know, I, same, same. I, I need you to dial him down just a tad, <laughs> just a tad. Like, I need you to dial him down to the version of it that Bulma can tolerate and marry. Yeah. Like, I need you to dial it down <laughs> to that, all right? Um, and so the wisdom to know the difference between that audacious, uh, respectable level of arrogance and swagger versus pure ego and delusion like, you need to know what that looks like. So you need to know, here is what's in my control, and it's actually significant. But if you take on too much out of that arrogance and hubris, you'll do things halfway, you'll overestimate things, underestimate other people, you'll take on too much and overwhelm, you can burn out, you can, um, you can think that you are able to do it all and that may not be true, and you may not be able to do it all at once. You may even be able to do it all, maybe just not all at once. That's where wisdom and discernment and self-awareness, and then also beyond self-awareness, you need situational awareness. You may know yourself, but you also need to have the humility to get a better understanding of the world around you and other people, and understand what they are capable of and what their limitations, boundaries, and abilities are, and then remember, okay, there will be people out there who are better than me at something so I should actually make use of them or I should at bare minimum not antagonize them. I should recognize that there are people out there that I'm not invincible. There are people out there who um, can hurt me. Maybe I don't uh, create enemies. Maybe I'm respectable and maybe I do my best to avoid conflict or not invite problems that I don't need because then I don't have the delusional belief that I can't be hurt, I can't be touched. So. Uh, that's where that wisdom comes from to give you just the right amount of modesty or humility to know what's too much or too big or too far or unreasonable. And you can now have good expectations, good boundaries, and also a respect for danger. And so that is what I think. That's the real, like I took the woo-woo part and I made it real in the sense of like, okay, here's the serenity prayer. I could throw that out and people just think it's a platitude But I just realistically broke it down into meaningful, very great foundational life advice.
0: That is the perfect uh, note to end this conversation. And I just want to thank you once again, Roberto, for being on the Inner Power podcast. Everybody, please make sure to check him out, robertoblake.com. The information, as always, is going to be in the show notes. And we'll catch you back here in the next one. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Inner Power podcast. The show's over, but the growth continues. Visit coachbyandycom slash gift for free tools and resources that will help you win in business and in life. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave us a five-star review and get connected on Instagram at MissAndyRivera. We'll see you back here in the next episode.